Blog Talk Radio. It's Sunday evening, and welcome to Paz I Am Radio. Your hosts for tonight's show are Robert Brining, Jeremy Dunn, and Jack McEnroe. They'll be taking your calls and speaking on the topic of the week. You're encouraged to call in and share some of your life experiences with us. The number to call is 347-215-9442. That number again, 347-215-9442. Welcome to Paz I Am Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Pause I Am Radio. Today is Sunday, March 14th. I am your host, Robert Brining, joined by my co-host this evening, Jack McEnroe. Jack, how are you doing this week, man? I'm good. I'm good. Has it been a monsoon there in, in yeah, Philly? It's been crazy. <laughs> yeah, yesterday we had like 60-mile-per-hour winds, and I I left the house in the morning, and then I, like, my weed blew off in the street, and I was like, screw this, and I basically just stayed indoors the rest of the time. <laughs> so, yeah, I've been it was too. a little bit better today, but n- not much. Yeah, I haven't left the house in a few days, actually, since I have the shingles. <laughs> oh, I know, so how's that all going? Like, um, I, see to... your, I see your updates on Facebook, and you're like, it's bad, it's good, it's bad, it's painful, like, what's up? It's it's starting to go away, but it's like scabbing, so I know it's healing, but right. it hurts so bad. Oh, yeah, how? because I had it in college, um, and actually it was, I didn't know I was HIV positive yet, and I think my immune system was a little bit compromised, but I didn't have it very bad. I had one little strip on my back, because it doesn't, it goes in strips, like from your nerve endings, right? Yeah, it starts at my belly button and wraps all the way around to the back. Oh. It's like a that ring. Is not, that is not cute. <laughs> no, it's, not. it's painful and it itches, too, if I recall, right? Well, don't itch for me. It's just, like, really bad pain. Like, my that shirt bothers like, it. Sounds really fun. Yeah, tons <laughs> of fun. <laughs> so I've been on the couch for a while, <laughs> enjoying all that. Bummer. Well, you're not missing anything outside. The weather blows, so... <laughs> So um, what's going on with you? Anything new? Uh, I think last time you were when you were on, you were you had a cough. Get rid of that thing. Oh yeah, that finally went away. That was like the, I literally had a, a cough for a month. Like not to like, not to sound like two old ladies were like busting out on all our illnesses, but um, no, I just had this freaking cough that wouldn't go away. I went through two courses of antibiotics, finally a course of prednisone steroids, and now I'm all good. I'm back in the pool swimming, and actually I came. The only things that I have had going on other than that were um, I just came from Vegas where I was last weekend, and I spoke at their Community Counseling Center HIV Wellness Conference, which was like two days at the Mandalay Bay, and um, uh, Eight Rates of Nevada is their big ASO out there, and so I just spoke, and I met actually a ton. It was a little, a teeny tiny, like, micro version of the uh, USAID's conference, so it was cool, and um, met a lot of really great people, and then um, I was, it was literally, because so I'm doing, I'm doing Living Positive by Design with Merck again this year, and so they're formatting it a little bit different, and instead of doing these big excursions, I mean, we are doing a couple big things this year, but we're doing little one and two day things called, and so their code for it is called Jack in the Box. <laughs> because I'm just like 
jumping into these little cities and speaking and doing a presentation, and then I leave. So I flew in to Vegas. I um, checked into my hotel. I That was in, like, I don't know, at 6 or 7 in the evening. And then I spoke that next morning, and then I flew out at 3. So I was, like, in and out. It was crazy. So, wow. And then, um, yeah, and then I am – um, speaking at another event at the end of this month. It's the last weekend in March in Silicon Valley, and that's like a, a, a private fundraiser. And you can probably—I don't have the information in front of me, but um, but yeah, so that should be fun. I'll be there, and then I'm actually going to stay in San Francisco and hang out with my buds on the 27th and 28th. So, so yeah. Um, and oh, you have fun. a new blog entry, which you gave me some props. So. Thank you <laughs> Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, I, I've always had this issue where I feel like that there's not enough, you know, HIV-positive people casted in, whether it's a reality show or just on television, and it makes me mad. So when, you know, when I seen you the first time, it was, you know, something I could finally relate to. And I'm sure, you know, a lot of people related to what I felt, too. And then to have Angina come out and do it, too, it's just an amazing thing because we haven't really seen it since, you know, before you was Pedro, and that was so many years ago. So it's just really nice to see that, and, you know, you know you've inspired many people just by doing that, and it's a great thing, and, you know, I, I had to give props to where it was, so I gave props to Pedro and to you and then to Angina for doing it, and then talked about how I'm trying to, you know, find a way to, to put this show together and, and pitch it to the right people, so, you know, there can be something out there where if you're HIV positive and you're sitting at home on a Friday night, you know, there's something that you're going to be able to tune into to get some hope, because... There's really nothing for us as HIV-positive people to tune into every week. Yeah, it's interesting. I was just, um, I think two nights ago, I don't know, I have the memory of a goldfish now, but um, I was on a panel at Sirius Radio, and it was with one of the members of GLAAD, and they were they ran a two-hour special that they'd edited with all these celebrities and stuff and talking about gays and gay representation, GL, LGBT representation in general in the media, and um, how reality TV has really moved that forward with, you know, showing people from all different, you know, not necessarily positive imagery because we're talking right. about like Richard Hatch from Survivor and, um, <laughs> just, you know, there's hot messes on the real world and stuff, but we were talking about all that. But regardless of whether you think it's positive or negative, it's, it normalizes our lives and people right. that think they don't know anyone in the middle of nowhere that is like us. So, but then, you know, we kind of tapped, touched on the fact that there's still a, a lot of work to do. There's still a long ways to go, like you just mentioned. And even the guy from GLAD was saying, yeah, we work with the networks all the time. And they always come back to us and say, like, oh, America's not ready for an all-gay cast, or that's too gay. Or, um, I mean, even when I was pitching some of my show ideas and the drag queen show and this and that, you know, we'd hear over and over, especially from the, the – slightly more conservative network. So our our viewers aren't ready for so much gay material and so, you know, so it's interesting to hear. Yeah. Oh, well, we'll see. The future only knows. I mean, it, it, yeah, it'll come around. I actually read today in our fag rag that um, that show, Logo was doing a show called Next, and it was, or, or called Kept, and it was about, like, boys and their sugar daddies and, I guess it's being reformatted, and now it's being called the Gay Socialites of New York City. Oh, wow. So that should be interesting. So we'll have more queens to make fun of, I guess. Right. So speaking <laughs> of New York, um, I actually have our guest on who is from, um, he lives in Brooklyn, 
So, um, Excellent. you know, uh, yeah, yeah, he, uh, he's from Brooklyn now. I believe that's exactly where he's at. Um, he's originally from Chicago, but his name is Tree Alexander. And um, I first, you know, was introduced to him uh, through Logo's HIV and Me project with Angina. Um, you know, I saw his video, and actually after it was done, and I filmed my video with Angina, I made it a point to really reach out to everybody who was doing that to get them to come on and share part of their story because it was just, for me, it was an experience to meet Angina. So I'd like to hear with other people who went through the same situation with, you know, what their experience was. So, you know, that's why I reached out to have Tree on, and Luna was on, you know, previously, and the guy Justin, who's up now, hopefully will be on next month. Um, but uh, let me uh, let me bring Tree on to the show. Well, real quick before you do that, I just want to okay. make sure uh, a few people have contacted me through Facebook about various guests and stuff, and I just want to make sure you're getting that forward, those all yeah. to you, and yeah. how you deal with it. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> so, Tree, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. Hello, can you hear me? Yeah, we hey, got yeah. you. Oh, yeah. Had to do a little mic check, you know. <laughs> <laughs> one, two, one, two. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for coming on the show and then, you know, sitting with us for the hour to share your story with us. Um, um, you know, definitely. Um, it, it's important to do that, you know, to, to get the message out there for people so they know. And I was touched by your story, obviously. Um, and so was logo for putting you into peace. Um, first, let's start a little bit. Where did the name Tree come from? Okay, so um, Tree started um, by a few friends because I was always a and my name is pronounced um, Tree. You're cutting in and out. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, try it again. Am I am I a little better now? Yeah, you're better yeah. now. It's not like you dropped the phone. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so um, my name is pronounced Treeston, um, and people would just call me Tree um, for for short. Um, but because I w- I've always been a tree hugger, um, always <laughs> loved having pets around, um, Tree just stuck. And so um, after a while, after a couple years, I started to to make it my real name, and I added to, added it to my um, birth certificate, and now it's now it's my real name. I love that. I love it. Yeah, I think it's really unique, you know, and I like that. I like being unique. Yeah, it works for <laughs> me. Um, <laughs> it works for me. So, so take us um, take us back to you know like wh- where did you grow up, and then take us you know tell us about the day you were diagnosed. Um, okay, I grew up in uh, on the south side of Chicago, and um, I had a rough childhood um, because my community was wasn't was wasn't one of the best communities. So it was always a lot of gang violence, a lot of drug drug activity going on in my community. Um, so I experienced um, gay bashing, and I experienced a, a number of different things. Um, that made me not want to stay in that community. So I ended up moving to the north side of Chicago um, where uh, I worked in Boys Town. I don't know if you guys have been to the Chicago Village, but um, it's, yes, it's an area called Boys Town. And um, I worked um, at a clothing store out there. I met this young man um, who was a, a little bit older than me at the time, um, who showed me around the city and was really excited to be with me. Um, we got to know each other very closely and um, decided to move in together and um, decided to, to stop having sex with condoms. And um, after 
each other that we were both uh, negative, that we were both checked out, that there was nothing nothing going on. Um, so about six months into the relationship, he started to get sick. And um, he started, it was like a little bit of a cold, and it started to get stronger. So um, it went from, like, Tylenol PM to Mucinex. Um, and so he started to take more and more medication, and I was like, let's go to the doctor. Let's see what's going on. Um, let's check things out. He always had an excuse. There was always something wrong. There was always something um, that we had to do the next day um, so that we wouldn't have to sit in the emergency room. Um, now, this was in June when he had this um, bad cold. So by um, August, he was completely out of it. He had lost, He went from a size 34 to a woman's size 6. Um, he had like this, he had a couple other things going on uh, with his body. And so um, one day I was cooking dinner, um, still refusing to go to the doctor. Um, I was cooking dinner, and I finished dinner. I called them into the living room to say, you know, let's eat dinner, and he didn't answer me. So I go into the room again um, to check on him to see if he was asleep, and he looks at me and says, I can't move my body. Um, and so I immediately called 911. They came and got him. Um, we sat at the hospital. They hooked him on every machine imaginable, and um, they the next day they told us that he had PCP pneumonia, um, and then a little bit after when the test came back, they said that he was uh, HIV positive. His um, CD4 count was at about six, and his viral load was in the hundred millions. Um, and at that point, I, I don't know if I blacked out. Or what? But I I went that that same day to get tested, right downstairs in the same hospital, um, to get tested, and seeing him in this hospital and waiting on my test results was the worst that you can imagine. It was like the worst two weeks um, with being there in the hospital with him and the doctors saying that that he's not going to make it and waiting for my test results. So I go downstairs um, two weeks later to to get my results, um, looking at everybody that come out, out of um, out of the back with the nurses, um, saying, okay, if they have a good you know good look on their face, like they're not crying, then then I'll be okay, I'll be fine. Um, so the nurse calls me back and um, she says, I'm sorry to tell you, but you're HIV positive. And I say, um, okay. And she said, are you sure you're okay? I said, yeah, I'm okay. I'll be okay. Um, so give me some medicine, and I got to go to work. And she was like, well, you have to come back and do another test and um, before we can figure out if you need medication or not. I was like, okay, I'll be back. So um, for the two weeks that I waited before I went back to to have my uh, confirmatory test and see a primary care physician, um, I did nothing but drink orange juice that entire time. If I was hungry, I drank orange juice. If I was thirsty, I drank orange juice because I was doing anything to boost my immune system. Um, so hoping that that would change the test to, uh, from positive to negative. 
so I was doing anything, right, taking vitamins and everything. Uh, so I go back, and um, she says that, that you are positive, and um, your numbers are okay. You don't need medication, um, but we're going to try to see how things go along. And I said, my numbers are okay. What does that mean? Um, and she's like, okay, you're fine. You don't, you're not sick, so you don't need medication. Like, Trey, I'm starting to lose you again on your phone. I'm sorry. So she says, I, can you hear me better now? Yeah. Yep. Uh, so she says, um, you're not sick, so you don't need medication right now. And I say, I'm not sick. I've never been sick, and I don't want to get sick, so I want medicine. So you're supposed to give me medicine to stop me from getting sick. And she was like, well, that's not how it works. Your numbers have to be below 350 at that time. Um, and, and this this was what year? This was in 2006. Wow. Okay. So, and mind you, my birthday was August 6th, um, and I turned 20, and I found out September 6th. Um, so I just turned 20. It was 2006. Um, my partner was in the hospital. So I was I was freaking out when they told me that they wouldn't give me medication. Um, and to the point where they had to call the police to get me escorted out of um the hospital, out of the clinic, um until I calmed down. Uh, because I really wanted medication. I really did not want to get sick. I didn't understand what was going on, but I knew that I didn't want to get sick. I um knew that my perception on HIV at that time was of people all in beds, all laid out. Even the example that I had right in front of me um, was not a good example. So I wanted to protect myself by taking medication. I didn't know anything about side effects, anything about resistance. All I wanted to know was if I take the medicine, will I not get sick? And did you, so they obviously didn't give you the medicine right away. Right. At that time, I was a um, personal trainer and fitness instructor. So they they assured me that if I continue um, to take care of my body, to to work out, to eat healthy, then I won't need medication. Um, and during that time, I continued to work with people um, as a fitness instructor, but I decided to 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 change and learn more about HIV. So I ended up um, working at the clinic um, as a peer counselor, um, working with people um, on other bases for gaining weight or losing weight um, with their diagnosis and with their medications and all this kind of stuff. Um, so that's how that was, I got that, into that, the HIV field. And that was a clinic that you were saying that you were working at in the north side of Chicago? Yes. Okay. I mean, no, no, is that something you jumped right into? Like, you automatically knew that you wanted to get involved in that, or did, like, after the diagnosis and, you know, your partner was in the hospital, how did you process all of it? Well, after after finding out my status, while my partner was in the hospital, um, I was in my denial phase. So I just denied um, having um, HIV. Uh, I just felt like um, if I drank orange juice and if I... um, was, would work out and eat right, that my test would somehow, I would sort of convert and I would somehow be, go from positive to negative. Um, I felt like well, just, I was... Um, 
not to interrupt, but where did you get the orange juice idea? <laughs> I've never, I've never heard that. Okay, all I knew is orange juice helps the immune system. It's, you know, vitamin C. And that was that was the orange juice thing. Okay. <laughs> and that's what I was told as a kid, and that's all I knew at that time was to drink orange juice. Um, and I just felt like it was working, too. Uh <laughs> But uh, what I was going to say, oh, so um, after telling my sister and telling members of my family, I decided to um, refocus and after the relationship ended. So after um, my partner got out of the hospital and got better, the relationship ended, and we went our separate ways. And when it wasn't about taking care of him, I decided to take care of myself. And that's when I got um, back into working and who I got into working with HIV. How was it when he told your family? Well, um, my twin sister um, knew more about it than I did, so she was right on board. Um, She was like, okay, I'm going to go with you to every doctor visit. She was asking more questions than I was. When it came to telling my father, um, I tell the story a lot. Um, So I go to my father, and I tell my father and start off saying I went to the clinic to get tested and um, he was like how did it go? I was like well it went okay Um, and so before I can finish my story he cut me in and he was like oh when I was a kid and um, when I was doing this and I had my scare um, just make sure you don't catch that AIDS because when you do you're dead you might as well plan your funeral and the room was silent after that Right. What do you say I didn't to know that? What to say. I, I, I didn't know what to do, so I let him finish talking, and then I said, "Oh, it was just a rash. I um, they gave me a cream, and it cleaned up, and I'm good." And, and I didn't say anything here. to him um, for about nine months. I didn't go back to him and say anything, um, but I did tell my mom. Uh, and my aunts, and then they decided to tell more people in the family. And um, my mom's side of the family decided to throw me a stay healthy party, um, as well as a, um, a bon voyage party because I was moving to New York. So um, they had this big party with food and gifts, and um, a lot of the family members came out to tell me that they loved me, they want me to stay healthy, um, and some of them even brought me information about HIV and just to let me know that I am supported. Well, you're lucky. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, well, I, I I come from a big family, so um, I was gonna I was gonna ask how, how many how many people in your family? Like you said, your twin sister, and then who else? Okay, uh, so I have six siblings. Um, I have two older brothers, a twin sister, and two younger sisters. Was six of us all together. Um, wow. And so my mom comes from a huge family. Um, between her mom and mother and father, it's 16 of them. Um, wow. And then my father's side, it's four of them. So. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. A lot of people. <laughs> yeah, right? A lot of so names to remember. Go ahead. No, I've got a lot of names to remember. 
<laughs> I was going to say real quick, uh, Tree. When um, now, when your aunt and your mother went and told the rest of your family, how was that for you? Was that something that you were like mad about? No, actually, because I come from a big family, I feel like my family is very supportive, and there's not there's not many secrets in my family. So because I was holding this in and dealing with it alone, I I was relieved that. I didn't have to go to each individual person and tell them my status. Um, I felt very loved and supported in what I was what I was about to do um, in terms of moving to New York and um, with speaking about my my status. Um, so I just I just felt very welcomed um, back into the family. I felt like I can now be be comfortable around my family again. I don't feel like I'm hiding anything. Right. I think that's a kind of interesting commentary, and, of course, everyone's story is different, but I think a lot of people eventually get to that place. I mean, you're so scared to tell people. You're so scared to tell your father, and, I mean, for each person it's different, but, you know, ideally that's the great thing is that you get into these important conversations, and then sometimes it makes you closer, and you find that, you know, they support you no matter what, and um, you need that support, I think, in a lot of instances. And and I think the hardest thing was not, because I felt like I was strong enough to deal with it, but I wasn't strong enough to have my mom worry about me or have my family worry about me. I felt like if, if I told them, then they would worry, and that would stress me out. Mm-hmm. So once I, once it did come out, and once I felt supported and loved, um, it was easier to deal with. It was easier to go out and speak about this because I wasn't worried about um, if somebody I speak to go and tell somebody and somebody tell somebody. It was never like that for me. Um, for every person that I that I told, they've always um, welcomed me. I've never um, been rejected because of my status. I've never been um, pushed away or or had any of the bad disclosure stories that I've heard. Um, And those disclosure stories um, is what motivate me to spread awareness that it really is something real. So um, just so I get the timeline correct, you – so you um, were diagnosed in 2006, so you were 18? No, I was, no I was 19, 19. Um, and I had just turned 20 right when I found out my status. Okay. That was in 2006. How, how long has it been since everyone that mattered to you kind of knew the situation? Um, so I, I told them not too long after, um, but then I – jumped and moved to New York and then went back to Chicago and then decided to move back to New York. So I, I well, did I a little to, back and forth. Um, right. I, well, I, I just want to commend you because, I mean, that, you know, that's really quick. I can, and especially considering that you're so young, you really confronted the situation and now you're really so open about it and that's really admirable because so many people are not like that and are just really scared of it and um, so that's great that you, especially at such a young age, it's really unbelievable that you're so open and honest about it. Well, thank you. Um, I think I think 
the motivation started with me wanting to be comfortable with my family. Because um, that, that's my, – my family is very high on my support team. Um, and when, when I wasn't able to tell them, there was always that need to want to tell. I have to tell my family. I need support from my family. I want my family to be in on this with me. And then once I told my family, I was fine. Like, everything was fine then. Like, it wasn't a secret anymore. It wasn't nothing to be ashamed of. Um, because sometimes the closest people um, to us make, make us feel the most ashamed because they know we should have done better. Or they know we know better. Um, but once I told my family, then I was fine. And then I started to hear stories of disclosure um, of other people and their families and their friends, and I, I just felt like that wasn't right. Um, and then the fact that when I was in high school, um, in my sex ed class, there, was, there wasn't much talk of HIV. They was like, oh, you can catch HIV and there's no cure, period. Right. They show pictures of gonorrhea in the eye and syphilis in the mouth and all these other crazy stuff that the people hold on to. Like, those images are long-lasting, but they never showed a picture of HIV, right? What does a picture of HIV look like? And these were the things that stood out in my head um, and made me want to go out and spread awareness. That's right. interesting because that was one of the things I was going to ask you about was when you were in high school because you're, what, 23 now? I'm 23 now. Right, so you're 23, I'm 30, so I'm seven years older than you. I would assume <laughs> that within within the seven years that there would have been some sort of change in sex education classes in high schools because when I went to high school, I mean, I went to a Catholic high school. I don't know if you did too, but I went to the high school where they didn't even, like, really talk to you about HIV or sex. Well, you know I what I mean? To, it was very brief. Okay. I went to a uh, public school on the, on the south side of Chicago. And we we didn't have, like, a regular um, sex ed class. It was like someone would come in every three months and talk about it for about two hours. Um, and then they would show all these slides and pictures, and that's it. Uh, we asked a few questions. Um, and, again, it's high school, so we giggled, we laughed, we talked, we sent text messages to each other and um, passed notes around, um, not really paying attention. But I do remember not hearing much about HIV. I do re- remember um, not hearing much about how to deal with it or the stresses that come along with it. Um, but I do remember. I do remember the picture of the the gonorrhea, the picture of the syphilis, the picture of the warts in in crazy places and all this um, type of stuff. Um, the, those were the images that kept me wearing a condom in that at that time. Like, that's what reminded me. Wear a condom or you're going to look like that. You're going to look like a slice of broccoli. Um, so the, <laughs> those were the things that just stood out to me. Well, I think so it's that- really interesting. I don't know. I'm way older than both of you. Um, so I it, it's interesting. We didn't, We didn't even have... I mean, I graduated from high school in 87, so um, we didn't even, I don't, I don't think we even talked about HIV and AIDS, or if we did, it was like they didn't even know what was going on. But I, I would assume that even in the better, you know, in the better scenarios with 
with sex ed and STD education that the HIV and AIDS education is, has kind of gotten worse. I think, you know, like you said, there's not those images that are so striking of people really getting sick and dying as much, and it's certainly not in the media as much. So I think the school system is guilty of the same thing and just not, you know, treating it as serious as it can as it can be and I mean I know for a fact visiting people in hospice care and you know if you best case scenario it is a very manageable illness and if you have the right treatments it can be it can be quite like a chronic manageable illness but that doesn't negate the fact that there are people that are not that don't have appropriate health care that are sick that you know it's still a fatal illness it can kill you and people I think forget that it, that's that's so true, and a lot of times, um, I, I think the the fluctuation um, with HIV and AIDS um, awareness in in the school system went up in the late 80s, early 90s, and then it dropped back down once um, the medications started to help people get um, help people to manage their their illness. Um, but I do believe that it's gotten worse. Um, because because of the school system, so like the parents protesting against um, sex ed and the school trying to give as much information without offending the parents or without promoting sex. So it's this whole big battle um, with the school and with the parents um, about the sex as a topic. Period. Um, right. Before we even get into uh, HIV, because you know some people think HIV is the black plague and some people think HIV really doesn't exist, um, and so that's where where kind of where I want to step in um, because I felt like nobody had HIV in my school, nobody had HIV um, in my community. It wasn't in my um, at the gym, it, uh, like the YMCA. It wasn't at none of the youth activities, none of none of like the streets of my neighborhood. It was not talked about at all. Like it did not exist, um, and when when we go about life living like that with with something um, not talked about or not spoken about or not even educating someone on it, you feel exempt. Like it doesn't matter. It's not a part of my life. It's not a part of my community. I'll be fine. Uh, it, that's only on the other side of town, or that's only in books, or back in the '80s, or something we only see on TV. It doesn't exist anymore. And so right. I'm here to tell people it really do exist. It's right there on your street. It's right in your neighborhood. It's right in your school. And it may even be in your house. Protect yourself. Get tested. Know your status. There's actually an interesting qu a question in the chat room that I think is really interesting and pertaining to you. It's like the question is was if, if you would have taken your HIV education or any HIV education that was given to you more seriously if it had been brought to you by someone that was around your age, like a teenager or someone like you living with HIV, how do you think, I mean, that's a, that's a great question to think, if someone like you had come into your high school classroom and said, I am living with HIV, I mean, what do you think the effect would have been? I think the effects would have been a lot stronger on me um, and prepared me for what was really going on in life. Like, um, I would have I protected myself a lot more 
um, especially in a relationship. And I think the relationship and the feelings that come along with the re- relationship plays played a part, a major part in my decision to stop using condoms um, at that time. And I I would have been more cautious about this is real, like this is really real, um, because it didn't exist. Um, I felt like I was so exempt. I, and growing up as a child, I never uh, only caught a cold once. Um, I had um, never had the pink eye, never had the chicken pox, never had the flu, never had all of these things. So I really thought I was just Superman or unbreakable. Um, so it was, just, all the, it was all the orange juice. It was all the orange juice. <laughs> <laughs> and, and my my Flintstone vitamins, I was good. Um, <laughs> but. I would have I would have prepared myself and I would have protected myself uh, a lot more seeing somebody my age or um, really saying this is true I'm positive protect yourself. You know that's interesting because that reminds me um, I got an email from this father who lost his son um, to uh, to AIDS um, a couple of years ago and he emailed me from the blog that I have on the body and he reminded me and it made so much sense because at the time you know when you're young and the youth today, they think, oh, not me, the other guy. But to the other guy, you're the other guy. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. like, so we always seem to be invisible, but, I mean, we feel invisible, but in reality we need to really wake up, and that's why it's so important for these young groups to go in and, and talk to kids in high school, like um, Hope's Voice that does the, you know, they travel around the United States and go to colleges and stuff, and I think that's great. Um just to backtrack a little bit, because I have two questions that um, I've been dying to ask. One, um, did you ever go back and talk to your father again? I did. How was that second um, conversation? And then, wait, let me get the second question out. Okay. Whatever happened to um, your partner who was in the hospital? Okay. So um, I did go back and tell my father. Um, but my father um, was in the Air Force. His father was in the Army. Like, if I was going to my father, I had to make sure I was ready to speak straight. Like, I couldn't let him um, break my conversation at all. So um, I went back, um, and I brought the medication that I was on doing um, a research study. Um, So I brought the medication. I brought information about each medication and information about um, HIV overview, right? So I went to my father, and I said, I wouldn't get tested. I'm HIV positive. These are the medications that I'm on. This is um, how I'm living, and this is information about it. My numbers are this. Um, my status is this. My doctor is, you know, I told him everything. I was ready um, so that if he asked any question, I was ready to answer it. Um, and at that time, uh, my father was, he was okay with it. Um, he said that, because I've had it for so much time. This is after a year of being positive. He said, um, I see that you've had it for a while and that you understand it um, so that I, I trust you in um, taking care of yourself. We did still have a, uh, a little issue because he really did go to his room and uh, start planning, um, calling the insurance company and all this kind of stuff. Um, and, and my mom, my stepmom had to talk him down and um, explain to him um, all the stuff that I told him. 
um, to get him out of the state of mind that I was going to die the next week. Interesting. Um, and so the second question was, again, I forgot. Uh, uh, about your partner. partner. Okay, so after um, my partner got out of the hospital, um, and he was on his own little thing of getting out of the hospital, being positive, so he decided to spend money like crazy. He went and bought a car and went and bought TV and all this kind of stuff, right? Um, and I was working day and night, like the entire day, um, and he said that I neglected him and he started cheating and the relationship ended. So, so I, I, I was just kind of, I kind of brought up the question to Robert in the chat room because I just wanted to make sure that he was okay because we sort of left it open-ended like he was in the hospital and I was like, so, but you guys parted ways and he's seen, as far as you know, he's doing okay. Yes, uh, he's doing well. But we um, we don't talk anymore, but we have mutual friends and uh, who like to give us both updates on how each other are doing. <laughs> Think about uh, those friends. <laughs> right. My best friend is his best friend, and, you know, so. Interesting. No so then you, we, we, so passed, then you moved, we passed that stage. Right. So now, so then after that, uh, you moved to New York, right? And is it in 2009 or, or in 2008, actually, you moved to New York? I moved to New York in 2008. Um, I moved to New York in April of 2008, so it would be almost two years that I've been here. Um, so I moved here to be with someone. Um, so I moved here. I met. Actually, I met him at um, uh, the Voices Conference um, a couple months before that. Um, so I decided to come out here and visit and see how life was going. And I ended up. I was only supposed to stay here for a week, and I ended up standing here for like two months before going back to Chicago. Um, so I go back to Chicago and I. Uh, make the decision to move to New York. So I tell my family that, okay, I'm moving to New York. And so um, they have seen other members of my family, older members of my family, um, pass away from, from AIDS complications, and they know how that withdrawal, like how we just step away from the family. And um, so my family didn't want me to do that. So they said, we're going to have this party for you because we want you to know that you're loved and supported and we're here. Like, we don't want you to leave. Um, but if you leave, it's not because you're afraid. Um, and at that time, I, I was going through a little bit of an up and down with my life, and I felt like if I moved to New York, then I'll, I'll be able to do things a little bit different than how I was in Chicago. Um and so that's that's what brought me out here. And the relationship, um, when I got here, the relationship was fine. Um, but then I found out later that um, that he was bipolar and schizophrenic and thought the world was against him and wanted to fight. That wasn't the track that I was on. So that relationship lasted about uh, <laughs> about eight. It's not funny, but that's a lot to deal with. You're like, that's not really the track that I was on. I'm like, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, you know, I, I was like, you know, let's just be friends. But that wouldn't work because uh, he wanted me near, but he felt like I was against him. Like I was plotting with everybody else to make him take his medication, to make him do all this crazy stuff. So um, after a um, fight, he actually stabbed me, 
and um, he wouldn't let me out of the house. So I'm, like, wrapping myself up in paper towels and, and scotch tape, um, trying to get him to calm down. So he calms down, and I ask him what he wants for dinner. And he says that he wanted something I can't remember right now. Um, so I say, okay, I need you to go to the store, and I need you to get these three things for me. Um, so he says, okay. He puts on his um, coat, and um, he goes to the store. Now, this was in the this was in January, in the middle of January um, of, of 2009. And he goes to the store, and I grab a, one bag, um, stuff like every piece of identification that I have, like my birth certificate, my social security card, all this kind of stuff in one bag, and I leave. I just jump on the, the, the bus and hit the train, not knowing anybody in New York, because um, at that time I had only been here for uh, maybe 10 months or 9 months. Um, so I didn't know anybody. I hit the streets, and I slept on a train. I slept on a bus. Um, I got to I got to know the city um, by sitting on like the J train from one from the one side of town all the way to the other, or the A from the Bronx all the way to to Rockaway. Um, so that's that's how I ended up homeless at the beginning of, um, of 2009 and trying to find my way. Um, and I decided to stay in New York because I felt like I was stronger that I can get through this and that I can stabilize myself here in New York instead of running back home because um, I didn't want to feel defeated. Um, so I just stayed in New York. Wow. That's, that's, really, you were, that's, that's, that's interesting to me that, I mean, because most people would think that's sort of counterintuitive that you'd be like, holy crap, New York's a mess and my life's kind of a mess and let me run home to my family. But, I think it's cool that you didn't. I mean, I'm a New Yorker. I live in Harlem, so, um, so I love it. I get it. Well, the hardest thing is um, because I've always been a very proactive individual, a lot of my family members look up to me, even some of my older cousins um, and, like, uncles and uncles, aunts and uncles uh, look up to me. Um, and I felt like I didn't want to call home and say, I'm broke, I'm homeless, and I need to come home. Um, I actually, when I left my ex um, that night, I had um, $22 um, and a Metro card in my bag, in my book bag. And in my bag, um, I had uh, a few pair of clothes and um, three giant Hershey bars, like the giant chocolate bars, mm-hmm. and I uh, ate that. Wow, that's what I ate wow. until I got um, until I found out about um, like the soup kitchens and shelters and things like that. Very interesting. Very brave to talk about your domestic violence. Um, somebody pointed that out in, in the chat room, and you know, for a minute when he told me after he stabbed you, you asked him what he wanted for dinner. I was like, what are you thinking? Were you going to cook him dinner? And then you let you let us know it was your escape plan to get out of there. Um, <laughs> The thing is, I, I knew that that, that time was coming because I, I had tried to leave before. So um, working with um, a social worker at that time um, told me to create an escape plan, right? So I had already had my bag packed, and my bag was packed in, in the closet, in the back of the closet. And I, had, I packed that bag three months before I actually left. 
So the bag was packed in the back of the closet. All I had to do was throw in um, my identification and my medication and then hit the street. Wow. Okay, so let's fast forward to what's going on now because, believe it or not, we got about 13 minutes left um, before wow. the end of the show. So I want to talk about a little bit about what was it like to meet Angina and to film the, you know, the piece for Logo? Well, um, it was really exciting because um, someone had heard my story and decided to call, um, like, the producer uh, assistant to tell them about me um, and then had called me and, like, connected us together with the producer. Um, and so I was really excited that my story meant something to somebody. Um, so then I get the opportunity to go on the show and speak with Angina and – I was nervous like crazy, right? At <laughs> this huge this camera in my face, um, and I was trying not to say um. So uh, I'm saying um now, right? right. Uh, so, <laughs> so I don't know. I was really excited to to tell my story, but also a little bit afraid um, because I said, okay, what what am I saying? Am I saying it's okay to be positive? Am I saying protect yourself? What am what am I saying by by going on television about this? What am I am I saying that I'm happy being positive? Am I saying that I'm proud to be positive? Um, so it was a it was a little bit iffy um, in, in the the time after I did it um, or while I was doing it, um, and then I wasn't really prepped on it, so I didn't know if I was going on to tell my story or to to talk about what I was doing at that time. Uh, so I was a little bit, you know, in the air about the questions that I was being asked. Um, but I'm a survivor, you know. Right. So so what else are you working on? I know you have a, you're going to start blogging somewhere soon, right? Right. Um, I'll start blogging on The Body um, in about a week. They're going to start posting my blog. Um, also, where am I? Um I have a blog on Housing Works website because I, I now work for Housing Works. I did the job training program. Actually, um, Housing Works was the first organization that I found while, while I was homeless. Um, so I got into Housing Works, did my case management, joined the job training program um, for clients to become staff members. Now I'm a staff member um, over at Housing Works and work with individuals directly on medication. Also, um, have a Twitter account and um, I Facebook. I, you know, I'm with, I'm everywhere. Uh, <laughs> so uh, that's so really cool. Also, what's your Facebook account? Is it just your name? Um, it's healthy underscore tree. On both on both accounts. On um. Twitter, and then Tree Alexander on Facebook. Okay, I'm going to follow you. Also, <laughs> I um, am the new, one of the newest spokesmodels for HIV Stops With Us, um, or HIV Ends With Us. Um, so HIV Stops With Us, um, that's the correct <laughs> one. So you can go to um, HIVStopsWithUs.com slash New York City. And you'll see me up there. But it'll also be um, a link on my Facebook page as well as on the Twitter page. Cool. Cool. So you're you're really getting yourself out there, right? Yeah. Um, I've I I figured out, 
you know, what what I'm doing in the positive positive aspect of of um promoting awareness. Um and it's not telling people that oh I have pride um for being positive, but I have pride in myself and I know what I'm here to do. So And that comes through in your message. I didn't hear you. I said that comes through with your message. Oh. Okay. You know, it definitely comes through when you do that. The other thing I wanted to talk about was um, the little thing that you did with the AIDS.gov, with the little photo booth thing uh-huh. on World AIDS Day. I thought those photos were really, really cool. Um, oh, thanks. What was it like? Because I just watched your video um, that you did with the, the gentleman from AIDS.gov. What was what was that um, all about? Can you tell us? Okay. Um, well, it was it was to promote awareness. So what we were doing um, was taking pictures um in front of a sign that we would hold up saying facing AIDS. That was the bold print on there. And then you would write why you're facing AIDS or what's the reason to make you involved in, in, the, in, the, in the race to end AIDS, right? Um, so we would take the pictures, and um, one, one World AIDS Day um, 2009 for everyone to put it up on their social networking site to, to say that this is my stand against AIDS. I'm here for my family. I'm here for my friends. I'm here for, you know, what truly matters. Um, and that was really exciting. Uh, we actually filmed that in San Francisco at the um, the U.S. AIDS conference um, and where Angina was, again, um, saw her out there for breakfast one day. So that was cool. Jack, you were there too, right? Yeah. Did I lose Jack? Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> Actually, I think I have a caller here, so let me go ahead and try to bring this person on um, okay. before we uh, run out of time. Let's see if they're here to talk to you. Area code 843, what's your name? Where are you calling from? Robert, it's Monique. Monique, you're tuning in late again, aren't you? I am. I'm just calling, listening. Hello. All right. Well, Hello. Do you have a question Hello. for anything? No, I'm just listening. Okay, I'll let you hold. I do have another person. Monique's cool. She was just on a couple of weeks ago as um, a guest, and um, she's a big, big hoop. Let's see who here. Area code, and they hung up on me. There was somebody calling from 347 who hung up, so I don't know if they want to call back in. You're more than welcome, so you guys can reach us. We've got a few minutes left at 347-215-9442. So do you have anything else coming up, uh, Tree, that we should be uh, aware of or look out for? Well, you can look out for the HIV Stops With Me um, commercial, which will be airing um, on pretty much every channel um, until the end of this month. Yeah, you've seen it? Yeah. Um, I wouldn't be in a commercial. There's a lot of of people in it, right? Right. There's uh, about seven of us in it. Yeah, so I'll have to look for you because I didn't know you then. And now I just messaged you on Twitter, so now we're Twitter friends. Okay, I have that caller. I, I, I got to keep up with my Twitter. Is it, Twitter gets so, like, demanding after, you know, oh, a I long know. day of work, right? I know, totally. Hold on, let me take this call real quick. Area code 347, what's your name? Where are you calling from? Uh, yeah, my name is Jazz. I'm calling from Brooklyn. Hey, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you. I had a question for Tree, because um, I heard he was talking about HX and how everything was going. I was wondering, like, was that? If you ever have, have any problems with his love life now, like is there anybody special with him now? 
Oh, okay. So um, there is uh, someone special right now that um, that we're trying to work on things, right? So I get I get excited about um, about telling my uh, love life um, because I get so confused with um, with partners now um, because I I um, had I haven't had bad experience with my status, but I've had bad experience in relationships. So um, stepping into a relationship is kind of hard for me. So the person I'm talking to now, um, we're, like, going a little bit of back and forth um, trying to get me to, to commit more um, because of work. So I get so busy with work that I, I don't call him for one or two days. He gets upset at me. Oh, I see. Okay, that's cool. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I wonder if I think that caller maybe was interested <laughs> okay. Well, I know, right? I think people really always want to know, and we have we get this question a lot. Like, I mean, you're so young, so you probably haven't had a lot of, like, well, maybe you have. I don't know if you did a lot, a lot. But I think <laughs> HIV-positive HIV people always think are worried that no one's going to want them because they're positive. So they're, you know, have you had that experience of people just, like, not returning your calls or rejecting you just because you're positive? Well, a lot of times I meet people while I'm working, so um, I never really have to tell my status because they've just heard me speak or they've just heard me talking about it. Um, right. But, like, you know, at events that I go to, like Pride or, you know, random places, I tell people right at the start, like, I'm HIV positive. Do you still want right. my number? You know, some right. people will take it because they're like, uh, I'm on the spot. Uh, let me act right. like you know, I have no problem with it. So they'll take my number and then they'll toss it. Um, but because of where I am, like, I need somebody who is not just okay with me being positive, but okay with me being publicly positive. So knowing right. that if I go out there and I tell the world that I'm positive and people start looking at you to ask you, uh, are you positive? Are you ready to deal with that? Um, right. So if you're not ready to deal with that, then you're not ready for me. Ready to deal with me. <laughs> right. Well, Trey, we're down to one minute. I want to thank you so much for um, coming on and chatting with us for the hour. It flew by, and it was so much fun. Well, thank you for having me on, and I really do love the show, and we'll make sure I get more people to tune in. There you go, Trey. You have thank a great you. night. Thank have you. Have a good one. You, you have a good day. Oh, he's awesome. Yeah. Well, I was just shocked that, I mean, through all the hardships and stuff that things really messed up with, you know, being so young and being homeless and having a boyfriend who went off the deep end and all this crap, he's, like, so positive, and he's, his family seems really supportive, and he's really made the best out of a kind of what could be seen as a really crappy situation, so I'm very impressed. Yeah, I was definitely, and, um, you know, one of the things that I, I realized that he mentioned at the end is that his family, you know, had other members in there who were you know, HIV positive and, and passed away from AIDS. So they kind of were familiar with, you know, the process of it all. And um, it wasn't, you know what I mean, like it's a little bit more easier to deal with as, you know, as a mother or as a father if you have somebody who you know who is also HIV positive in your family. You know, having that. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that could be good or bad. I mean, you never know right? if you have somebody yeah. in your family die of AIDS. You don't want to hear that. But that's true. You know, that's true. Education, so. education is always good. 
That's right. So uh, let's just remind everybody, since we've got 30 seconds, that you can find more information on Jack at jackmackenroth.com, more information on me and the radio show at pausim.com. And, and next week we will be actually, uh, is it you? Yeah, it's you next week, Jack, right? Yeah. The 28th year off. So we'll be speaking with uh, PAUSIM member Herman Young, and he is an HIV-positive liver transplant survivor. Oh, cool. So it should be interesting because not too many people who are positive had liver transplants and survived. So it'll be a very interesting and inspiring show. So don't forget to tune in. All right. Night-night. Night. Have a great week. Oh, you too. Bye. Bye. Bye.